Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This episode is one of our European specials and we'll be previewing the upcoming Europa League last 32 encounter between Club Bruges and Dynamo Kiev from the Ukraine. But before we do that, I'm going to introduce you to our special guest for this episode. I have some company. We're never alone here at the BFP. I have my wingman with me, Mr. Joris Beck. How are you today, Joris? Oh, oh, I'm not a special guest. I feel offended now. (laughs) But no, of course, uh, I'm I'm all good. Uh, it's a Friday evening uh, on the at the time of recording, so I'm ready for the weekends. And uh, yeah, I'm actually very happy that we have a special guest. Let's meet our special guest, shall we? Let's move straight on to that. We're absolutely delighted to be joined by Andrew Todos. Andrew's the founder of Zoria Londonsk, which is the number one source for Ukrainian football in English. And they've got a great website and blog. And uh, they've also got their own pod as well, which covers Ukrainian football quite comprehensively. So if you're looking to find out more about Ukrainian football and follow it more closely, then um, check out Zoria Londonsk. And we'll be able to give you all the links to that at, at the end of this episode. Andrew, a very, very warm welcome to the BFP. We're really excited to have you here. Good evening, guys. Um, Yeah, very excited to chat a bit about the big game coming up next week and also about Belgian football in general. There's a nice little connection between Ukrainian football and uh, Belgian football of late, so uh, plenty to talk about. There is, yeah, you're you're dead right, there is. So, as you were saying, uh, the first leg of the tie takes place on Thursday the 18th when Bruges go to Kiev and then the return leg will be the following week on the 25th at the Jan Bredel in in Bruges, as we know. Um, So, I suppose we should just dive right in, really, and I think think the first thing uh, we're keen to find out a wee bit more about, Andrew, is Dynamo's season domestically. How's that been going? Well, probably the best it's been going for a number of seasons so at the start of the year well the start of the season they brought in a new manager if anyone is familiar with Ukrainian football as a whole the legendary Romanian former Shakhtar Donetsk manager Mircea Luchescu took over the arch rivals of Shakhtar Dynamo Kiev and he's done quite a good job there so far for the first time in four years Dynamo have qualified for the Champions League group stages um, after a lull, they've had they've been spending time in the Europa League, of course, but first time in four years that they qualify for the Champions League. And at, at the end of the winter break, which is actually coming to an end this just this gone weekend, they're top of the league by a point uh, ahead of Shakhtar. So you know, quite positive so far. They've had a few rocky years where they've been finishing second, not really challenging Shakhtar too much but this year looks slightly different on a domestic front so we'll see how that goes on in the second half of the season especially with the sort of long winter break that there's been. Yeah it definitely sounds like um, some progress there. Do you think the the lack of sort of competitive games recently obviously because of the winter break will will have any kind of an impact on on this tie because obviously Bruges have been playing kind of, you know, right through and have had a, a pretty hectic schedule really since the, the kind of season started. How do, you, how do you think that might impact the tie? Yeah, it's a weird one. And this happens every single year for um, Ukrainian sides in Europe when they're in the spring. So, I mean, the issue is, is that Dynamo have been at a two training camps. They had one in Dubai and then one in Turkey. So they've been keeping up in the hot weather, which it won't be in Kiev. It's currently like minus 11 or something like that and very snowy. So, you know, 
whilst the winter break is over, winter certainly isn't. Um, and I think they'll need to definitely stretch their legs, etc., and see how that goes. I mean, they've got a warm-up. Well, they've got a, uh, a game in the league against Olympic, and then they're just going to be going straight into this Bruges match. And I mean, from not having compet- from not having any competitive football since the sort of front end of December, it could affect them, especially just on the match sharpness levels. You know, friendlies never really do give much intensity that you'd really want for big games such as the the Bruges ties. And unfortunately, I think Bruges are quite quite strong. And despite the fact that they've been playing throughout, you know, the winter compared to the Ukraine, where it was like a, almost three months, it's not really. It's I think that they'll probably be more prepared in terms of just getting stuck in, whereas. Dynamo sometimes can be a bit, you know, a bit sleepy still needing to to buck up. Yeah, it's always it's always it's always difficult to predict how that that can influence things. It's it's a really tough one. I suppose we should we should actually touch on kind of Dynamo's European campaign more generally so far this season as well because sure. obviously it started with a Belgian connection, didn't it, in the, mm-hmm. the Champions League uh, playoff round when when Dynamo were drawn against Ghent and managed to thump them five one over the two <laughs> legs. How did their campaign kind of progress after that? Yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, they. Won that relatively comfortably, but I think that was probably more down to Ghent being in a bit of a struggle than Dynamo being, you know, the best that they've ever been or anything like that. Their actual Champions League campaign, for the first time in four years, people would say it was, you know, a success just on the basis of where the club is at. They lost four matches in the group stage, twice to Juventus, 2-0, then 3-0. And then against Barcelona in a very close game, a 2-1 loss at the new Camp, which um, Dinamo played really well, but just couldn't find their finishing boots. And um, Tostegan was on fire that night. And then they got absolutely hammered 4-0 in Kiev um, to a Barcelona reserve team. So that was quite, that was probably the most disappointing um, result of the whole group stage. The fact that Dinamo didn't really give it a fight for that second place when Juventus and Barcelona even though they are obviously elite sides, were far from their best this year and under new management, et cetera, and all the crises that's going on with COVID and all this stuff. So, you know, it wasn't the best performances that Dynamo pulled on, but then they did get the key win against Ferenc Farosh from Hungary, um, a 1-0 win that essentially secured their their berth in this uh, Europa League knockout tie. And just to add to that, there was a lot of COVID during that campaign. So I think during the even the Barcelona-Juventus matches, there was a period where about the whole, almost the entire first starting eleven was missing for parts of it. So, you know, Dinamo had to adapt um, with some makeshift defences and that sort of thing. But I mean, ultimately, it's what everyone expected. When, when they saw the draw, they thought that Dinamo would probably be most comfortably finishing third, and they finished third um, thanks to that win against Ferenc Varos and also a 2-2 draw in the first game against Ferenc Varos. But yeah, I mean, I think coming into this one, it's going to be another tough test. And what, what, are, the, what are the feelings about kind of playing Bruges and the, and the expectations? Well, the expectations, I'd say, are not that high. Like, people think that who don't follow Belgian football, I guess, so closely think that it might be relatively straightforward. It's a Belgian side, you know, Belgium's not too renowned for 
football, etc. But I mean, those who follow it a bit more closely, especially because of the Ukrainians that play there. I know that Bruges obviously had a great campaign in the Champions League, very narrowly missed out on that knockout round berth. And, you know, they took it to the sword with most of the sides in their group. So it's it's going to be difficult. And especially the fact that there is this sort of revenge element for Dynamo Kiev, especially um, two years ago when <laughs> Dynamo got knocked out by Bruges in the, in the playoffs. So, you know, both sides have come quite far since then, but I think Dynamo have got their ice more tightly focused on the league this year just because they haven't won it for four years now. And I think now that they're in the driving position, even though they've had the break, you know, you could say that they can easily focus on both. It might be slightly asking too much, especially with um, the the form of the forwards that Bruges have got absolutely on fire um, with the new signing of Bazdost and, you know, Lang compared to what Dynamo have got going forward, which is slightly tamer for the time being. And how do, how did Dynamo kind of typically set up? What what players should should we be watching out for? Yeah, so they normally set up either 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-2-1 and they play with like three or two central midfielders, um, an attacking midfielder, and then two wide men with one up top. So it's just going to be a lot of wing play, trying to build up either through the middle or through crosses. And the sort of the danger men in the side, I'd say, uh, is Mikola Shaparenko, who's a central midfielder, um, attacking midfielder. Young guy, likes to string a pass in there. Good technical ability, good dribbler as well. And obviously the star man in the team is Viktor Tahankov, who plays on the right wing. He's just, you know, he scores goals, he creates them, he's got pace. And yeah, that will be the main area that Bruges will, you know, need to tighten up on if they're going to if they're gonna sort of quieten down the uh, Dynamo forward line. However, I'm just going to put the caveat out there in terms of slight, I guess, negative approach in terms of uh, Dynamo's forwards haven't been, like centre forwards haven't been in top form this season at all and for a number of years as well but the ones that they currently have out of the four out and out strikers I think they played about 800 minutes during the winter training camps and scored zero goals between them. Tankov um, and some of the wingers etc did score goals but that's just something that might have a bigger impact the fact that the main central forward isn't going to be able to convert as many despite being given chances. And also, I think it's probably going to be an attack versus defence that's going to win this in terms of Dynamo, since Luchescu joined, has been very solid at the back, very organised. They've got a really young centre-back partnership duo, uh, Zabarny, um, who's 18, who just got promoted from the academy. He's already made his Ukraine debut last autumn. And Denis Popov, who won the Under-20 World Cup with Ukraine in 2019 um they're still a bit raw but they're they look like they've got tons of ability they're really organized um disciplined and you can expect the bruise sort of forwards are going to have a bit of a tough show but yeah so i guess it's going to be it's going to be a strange one it's it's difficult to predict as we've already said just because of the form of players you can't really judge anything on the winter training camps because they're not really full games you're playing against relatively low quality opposition like mm-hmm. the jordan national team or some belarus uh, sides so who's going to hit the ground running from dinamo's point of view is still 
you know, to be determined, but definitely think that Hankov um, will be the main sort of shining light in that side. So I, I suppose um, the other thing um, worth following up on is did Dynamo do much business during the transfer window at all? Very good question, Scott. And the answer is no, they haven't. They've not done much at all either this window, uh, as in they've made no signings. And I don't think they've sold anyone either in terms of from the main main squad. And during the summer, they brought in a couple of loanees who haven't really featured that much either. So it's very much, there's a core set of players that Luchescu uses, a few academy graduates in there. But you know, the main sort of bulk of the side is Ukrainians. Then um, they've got a few wingers in uh, Depena, Uruguayan, and Verbich, Slovenian, and Rodriguez, who's from Luxembourg. So, you know, those are sort of the big the big players that are in the team. They've not they've been linked with literally everyone who's anyone from Scandinavia to Romania and from other places, but nothing has come in just yet bear in mind that the ukrainian transfer window likes to close slightly later than everyone else um on the 28th of february so potentially you might see some some movement before either legs of this of this uh tie but for some reason just based off previous you know experience i don't think there's going to be anything major going outside of the dynamo dynamo then is that like a, a trend in ukraine in general the la last few years that there's less transfers well both in and outgoing or is that just an impression that i have well of course uh, of course i'm hinting at if there's any financial reason because of reasons outside of football let's say it like that yeah i mean well shakhtar have also not been uh, signing anyone themselves uh, of late i mean past couple seasons they've not made any sort of big marquee signings um i think they're waiting until the summer before they have a real sort of either a bit of a clear out of some of their more established players such as tyson and some of the other players that are in the team like solomon who's being linked with the premier league and and amongst others but in general from uh, apart from shakhtar and dinamo who seem i don't know because they've got the They've got the funding from the Champions League, etc. It's just, I guess, the players that they're after, you know, they've not been able to get them. Dinamo Kiev are particular, very weird in their transfer business. There doesn't seem to be a sort of a concrete strategy of what's going on there in terms of who they want to sign. And it's just literally all over the place. Um, they get linked with some of them a different league, different country every year. Whereas Shakhtar have got their, you know, South American scouting network etc and i think they've got players marked up that they are going to be bringing in sooner rather than later however elsewhere in the league from literally you know third down to bottom side yeah there's been loads of business this winter if anything it's been one of the busiest winter transfer windows um for a while so actually that was quite exciting other than those top two so yeah i wouldn't say i'd say that the ukrainian premier league is actually on a, on its way up slightly After, you know, years of decline since the war started um, in 2014, um, it's go it, it shrunk in size down to 12. This season was the first year it's gone back up to 14. And from next season, it's going to have 16 teams. So another sort of increase influx expected, hopefully, um, especially after the Euros this summer. 
And do you think, is there anyone going to be missing due to injuries or, or suspension for the day? Um, I've had a look at this and I don't think there's anyone sort of major that's going to be missing. In terms of the injuries, I think there's like a couple players who wouldn't have been in and around the squad anyway, like Clayton, who's a Brazilian winger who's not really featured at all this season. So yeah, I wouldn't, I don't think there's any major misconceptions unless unless something happens uh, against the in the Olympic uh, UPL tie in the meantime. Okay, okay. Um, and I suppose we, we can't really round up this kind of wee deep dive into Dynamo without kind of touching on the, the Ukrainian connection in Belgian football, because at the moment there are, I think it's eight players based in Belgium still playing their trade there, three of whom are at Ghent, Yaramchuk, Plaston and Bezos. Obviously, Anderlecht have got Mikhailachenko, Sobols at Bruges, on loan from Shakhtar, Filipov at St. Truden, Makarenko at Kortrijk, and Marianne Cheved is on loan at Mechelen from his parent club, Celtic. So I would imagine, you know, you guys have one, one BDI sometimes on Belgian football. And there's even more uh, before before you answer. Like also, like Mbokani had had a spell at Dynamo Kiev as well. Uh, that's been a longer while ago already. But like, there's definitely more players uh, that that have some link with Ukrainian football at least. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I keep a very, a very close eye on the Belgian league, as actually a lot of key of our national team players play in uh, in Belgium. So definitely one to what look out for. I mean, as you mentioned, Yaremchuk having another great season at Ghent. Lots of rumours maybe about him leaving both in the summer and the winter. Not really sure whether that's had a bigger impact on how he's been performing. He's still been scoring goals, but maybe could have been doing even better if there wasn't that sort of distraction. And obviously the managerial issues that the side's had Bezos not had the best start to the season, to be honest. And I saw some links that he was going to move to Turkey in the last window, but ended up staying because he didn't want to go there and said he was going to fight for his place at Ghent. And now he's like started the last three matches or something. So hopefully that continues and he continues to impress because he's got a few assists and stuff in that. So um, that's great to see. However, uh, Plastorn, I guess, is the, the one that's in decline at Ghent, unfortunately. Looks like he's completely out the side. I don't think he's injured as far as I'm aware. It's just sort of he's being unfavoured. He had some bad games towards the start of the season, uh, defensive performances, and hasn't worked out too well. Probably means his Euro 2020 spot is at risk in the Ukraine squad. But I mean, you know, off the face of it, there are better centre-backs out there to choose from. So, yeah, same for Mihail Chenko. He had a great start to the season. But opposite to Blaston, he sort of faded out as well a bit. I think he got caught COVID and then company just start, stopped um, stopped using him as his first choice. So he's just been consigned to the cup games, which is a shame. I but uh, we'll I see. I find that a straight one, my, uh, strange one myself, to be honest, indeed. The Mikhail Ischenko. like he, he Even because, um, yeah, he was replaced then with, um, well, I'm going to go a bit more deeper. That's probably not so interesting for you. 
but by by Kamar Lawrence, who <laughs> indeed then became the first choice. But even when he got a red card, then they still didn't. Uh, he still didn't even make the squad, I believe. Yeah, he didn't get the, the into the starting eleven, and that was a bit weird to me. That he that he yeah, Lawrence is a good player as well. So I, I, that he loses that competition, I can still imagine. But I I would imagine him still being the backup, and even that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I think slightly everyone in you. Crane's a bit baffled about what's going on in in that respect, but hopefully maybe can break into the sides should an injury or suspension come up later on in the season. Um, and hopefully that cup run continues so he can get some more minutes. Sobol, I've been looking at it. He's in and out the side all the time. It's pretty unpredictable as far as I'm aware for, for Bruges. He's sometimes in the lineup, sometimes he's rested. I guess he is a he's first choice fullback isn't he but he sometimes misses games but yeah I mean he's been he's been doing okay he's not the strongest sort of fullback in the world in terms of ability but you know he's you know tries hard and he's had some good performances for for Ukraine and I think he'll probably still be the sort of backup fullback here once the Euros come I'll probably just increase sort of the the impetus because we're going down a bit of a negative route. I'll return to that in a bit, but I'll just jump onto Makarenko, who at uh, Kortorik, who seems to be having a great season. He's um, didn't work out for him at Anderlecht, but he's been, you know, playing really well both for the national team and for um, and for his club side. So you know, got a few goals there, and he just looks like a, a very decent central midfielder um, who does the job understated, I guess, rather than a superstar in the side. And then Filipov, that is probably the biggest disappointment, I guess, for a lot of uh, Ukraine, Belgian football watchers. The fact that he had so much promise. He was playing so well in the Ukrainian Premier League last season, last couple seasons. And then he's just completely fallen out of favour with the St. Truden coach. And he makes the matchday squads the day before the games, but then he's never actually in the actual squad on the day of the match so no idea what's going on there and why he's so why he doesn't want to be sort of utilized at all by his um, coaching staff it's a strange one I would have personally recommended him maybe to come back on loan to Ukraine before the end of the season just because I think he was really pushing for a, a spot in the Ukraine national team but especially with Ukraine having Yaremchuk and then behind Yaremchuk as a center forward, there's a bit of a berth in who's consistent enough to play in there. And I mean, lots of people are touting Filipov to be that guy if he made the step up in terms of moving abroad, but it just hasn't worked out so far. Hopefully it's maybe first season syndrome or something like that. Who knows? But um, that's really sort of sad in terms of from his own point of view and just like uh, the hopes that other people had for him. Um, and finally, probably the most promising talent, uh, Marianne Schwed. Um, I've seen that he's recently picked up an injury. Hopefully he's not out for too long. Uh, yeah, after an absolutely terrible start to the season where the manager literally gave him a massive rollicking for not having the right attitude, um, being a recluse, that sort of thing. He's come back after that, bounced back, shown what he can offer to the team. Looks like his teammates appreciate him as well. And he's sort of getting more integrated into the side, building on his English, not great apparently just yet from his own personal point of view, but hopefully that can improve too. And I guess we'll see how the rest of the season goes. I mean, he's already had a few match running performances and I mean, he honestly does have the potential to 
be one of the best players in the league, um, in my opinion. I just guess um, we'll see how he performs for the remainder of it and whether he'll end up being bought out by McKellen or whether he'll return to Celtic and try his trade there. But it won't be under Neil Lennon, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. Regular listeners will know that kind of Celtic in my team, so I've been lucky to see a little bit of uh, Marion play in person. And, and Andrew's right, he, he is a real talent who, you know, hopefully can kind of find a home in Belgium, actually, because he, he has been starting um, up until this week, actually, when, you know, as Andrew was saying, he picked up a, an injury and I think he might be out for three or four weeks hopefully it's not any longer than that and he can get back to doing what he's been doing recently and that is scoring a little bit and, and providing some assists as well definitely well I think that's just about all we've got time for on this little deep dive on the Dynamo um, well, thanks so much for joining us Andrew while, while we have you here actually now sure. I just thought about it do we have any news or Follow, uh, follow up on uh, the Kukarovic case because, like, well, ah. case maybe it's a bit case is maybe a strong word, but he's <laughs> been rumored with Anderlecht and then they pulled the plug, but now it seems back on um, for in the summer. Is there? Do you have any updates on that? Maybe. Yeah. So I mean, the most recent news that I've read about is that. Obviously, the move was meant to happen this winter. He had the medical. For anyone who doesn't know, he had a medical at Anderlecht. Met up with Vincent Company, and the likes so it seemed like it was going to happen and then it turned out that the deal sort of fallen through and it's been put on pause at least until the summer i don't know whether it's 100 dead in the water yet but he's definitely staying in ukraine obviously because the window's now shut but yeah it, it's quite a baffling one especially with the uh, of the team that he plays for The president is very vocal. He's big on social media. He was saying how this was going to open new doors for both sides. Um, they were going to do sort of connections between the clubs in terms of friendlies and um, youth development, etc. Um, so obviously something hasn't gone right. There hasn't been like too much um, public chat in terms of how that's going to progress. And bear in mind that Kukarevic hasn't even scored that many goals this year. He's just broken onto the scene. Um, so it may be if he picks that up again in the second half of the season, that might actually come through in um, in the summer. But um, yeah, it's a typical sort of Ukrainian uh, transfer saga where some strange things happen, looks like something's on, cancelled last minute, and then you don't really ever find out what happened until a couple of years later down the line when either the players moved somewhere else or something else has happened. I think it's uh, the same at Anderlecht. There are so many players coming through the revolving doors there that it's almost not a surprise to, to see a bit of drama in a, in a prospective transfer mm. as well. So I think you're right. Maybe that will get picked up again in um, in the summer when, when things are going to change there as well, I think, for, for various reasons. Mm. How can how can our listeners find you and uh, Zoya Londonsk, Andrew? Tell us how they can find out more about Ukrainian football. Sure. So the most regular updates... Uh, social media site that I use is Twitter um, at Zoria Londonsk. Um, also dabble a bit in Instagram where I do a few more like polls and interactive things via the Instagram stories. And also got a website, zoriolondonsk.com, which I've got a few updates coming up in the near future ahead of the Euros. And just aside from the sort of socials, as Scott mentioned at the very start, I run a podcast with um, two of uh, my colleagues uh, Adam who's 
at Ukrafoot 24 and we do the um, Ukrafoot 24 podcast with another of my colleagues as well called Ray, who's an Oblong Kier fan. And we discuss everything um, and anything about Ukrainian football. We've had some good guests on recently, a former Dynamo Kiev assistant coach under Luchescu, Diego Longo. We had the assistant manager from Shakhtar Vitor Severino. And also, we've also had a few other footballers come on too. And we'll be carrying on in full stead towards the end of the season, the big summer ahead for Ukrainian football um, with the Euros. So if you want to find that out, search Shoot the Defence on uh, all good podcast platforms that brilliant we would definitely recommend to all our listeners that um you check all of that out it's um a great great source for ukrainian football um and we would we would definitely recommend that to you thanks again so much for joining us andrew it's been great to learn a lot more about about dinamo thank you very much for having me it's um yeah been been great fun great and we, we look forward to chatting to you again soon absolutely and just before we go we should special shout out thanks uh, as always to joseph mcdade for his brilliant intro and outro music uh, that we use on on each episode here at the bfp and as everyone knows we always love to receive feedback um of all kinds and if you fancy a bit of that and as i like to say why wouldn't you you can tweet us at belgian podcast you can email us belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com and you can now also find the BFP on Facebook and Instagram. So if you just search for the Belgian Football Podcast, you'll you'll find us there. Or if you would rather pursue us more directly and individually, you can find our Yoris on Twitter at Yoris underscore Beck, and that's B-E-C-Q. You can find me at Scott underscore coin and you can attack our regular host, Ben, at benjack94 so until the next episode of the bfp stay safe everyone and we'll speak to you soon